Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the F1 Show for coverage of the British Grand Prix in Silverstone, at Silverstone. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, we have reached the Fish and Chips Grand Prix, oh, as we affectionately know it. So good. Uh, every, sometimes we do the taste of the race where we try to have the local cuisine. Sometimes well, we don't, but... Um, more times than not. <laughs> right. But the British Grand Prix is an is a important staple of our summer, really, and that's uh, when we actually have a chance to get some proper English-style fish and chips. This, this will be a shorter podcast, I think is what we're trying to say. As we have not yet had the fish and chips, we have a big incentive to, to get there and, uh, and, and get that covered. But, uh, of course, we had um, a quite a crazy weekend with, uh, with weather changes and all kinds of things. But really, the biggest update uh, since the last show is uh, sort of a scary one in that uh, Maria Deviota, the test driver for the Marussia team, um, had a big, big crash uh, in straight-line testing in Duxford in England. And this was uh, just this past week on the 3rd of July. Yes. Um, and what we there's a lot we don't know and that there's not any like telemetry of like what what happened on the car what happened on track you know what what the deal was it wasn't a weather thing um but the result was that she crashed heavily into um the uh like the the deck of a transporter truck from what i gather and uh it was very serious injuries to her head and face and she's actually had lost an eye in surgery um but her right um, eye based she was, on reports yeah very very critical condition for a while um as of this weekend they're saying she's like alert and talking and everything so it's very good news to hear that she's recovering um but obviously some pretty grave injuries and uh there's still a, a lot to be i think investigated as far as you know why you know what actually happened but yeah. you know why a truck would even be left in that kind of way where it's like right at you know driver eye level height is seems like a very serious safety issue and all that so uh you know it's definitely That's... definitely a troubling thing to read about but good to hear that at least she's you know it's out of really critical shape and at least getting better right uh, absolutely and that's the you know, other than having a canopy on the car, you know, there's just no way to protect the driver's head if something is right at that height. And, you know, not exactly, but um, in a way, this is one of the reasons why uh, Formula One mandated lower noses on the car is because they wanted the noses to penetrate lower. If if there was a contact with cars nose first from car to car, they wanted to uh, have that impact be lower so that it was less likely to um, intrude on the driver's uh, more vulnerable places uh, in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is exactly the type of thing where this is like the last extremely vulnerable place of a of a modern Formula One car. And uh, just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how much testing you do, there's always a way for something to happen that can uh, get very scary. So yeah. as you said, the, the the details are very, very sketchy. I know a lot less about this than you do. Uh, I w- I've been out of town and kind of uh, away from the internet, actually, for most of the week. So just kind of behind on life. Yeah. But... And so the, the facilities are FIA certified to be test grounds, and this airfield is certified as such. And you think about, you know, all the, the scariest places in Formula One, you think of like Monaco or whatever, you know, any any wall you crash into, you know, it's going to be in the nose of your car, maybe your tires, maybe your side pod, maybe the rear of the car. There's all this crash structure around you, you know, but if you think about it, there's nothing that's overhanging the track that you can, you know, there's not like, if the, you know, like an F1 car, if it were ever allowed to be so in traffic, would be such a dangerous thing because you could just get under the, the back of a truck or something like that. And so that's the, the scary part is that. You know, it's it's not that the, the track did anything wrong, and it's not that you know, and there were safety crews on site, and there was all that. It's not the, all these things that that really went wrong so much as, uh, or you know, like things you can really legislate. But it was just, um, you know, whatever happened on the car, which again we don't really know what that was. Um, but um, 
or even if you're driving straight at a platform and it's right at your eye level, it's almost invisible at that level as well. So, I mean, who knows where the, the mistake happened and what actually happened. But um, the fact that there was something that was just kind of this, you know, overhang that right at that really vulnerable level is just a, a whole bad series of coincidences, I think, that, right. that and, came together. And where was that in uh, relation to the track? I don't even know that. Yeah, it was actually like kind of pulling back to the the you know, as, as much of a paddock as there is, you know, the, the support truck set up there and the guys gather around looking at data and stuff like that. So it was sort of a, an informal setup, but it really goes to show, I mean, we, you know, at times take some of the safety for granted because it has gotten so good right. that even really crazy crashes we see in races and even, you know, weird stuff that goes on in the pit lane and all kinds of things is still in a very controlled environment. And this was, you know, maybe, I guess maybe the answer is, is a better sense at a, at a test ground for, um, sort of separating the the hot pits from the rest of the setup or you know whatever but so anyway there's there's investigations are going on to do it but um but really if anything you know our thoughts are with uh, you know maria and her family and, and everyone just uh working on the recovery and all that and uh definitely a, a scary thing to have happen um you know just kind of uh you know at, at what should have been a very you know normal test session for a for another team yeah absolutely uh so for the actual race itself uh, we started off in extremely wet conditions, very uh, stereotypical British conditions, which uh, was entertaining to watch, but uh, did definitely throw um, y- your usual Friday practice setup, you know, getting race conditions, getting qualifying conditions sorted out. Definitely threw a major loop into the usual weekend process of um, getting ready for the race. Not to mention all the access to the track itself. I mean, that the biggest story sort of off the track was you know, Silverstone on Saturday telling fans basically don't come to the track right now. The traffic is too backed up. It is too bad. There's mud everywhere. There's traffic, people getting stuck and all kinds of things like for, you know, it's like, Hey, you bought tickets, but don't come, you know, what what a shame to get into that situation. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing that hits me right away is, you know, I'm sure the British Grand Prix tickets you've gone before, they are not cheap tickets. Mm -mm. And if someone paid, you know, two, three, 400 euros for a weekend pass, and then is told not to come. I mean, I don't know. That'd be a tough right. one and to swallow. If, well, even if they're even if you get your money back, um, there are certainly people that plan huge travel and everything around this. And if this is you know the the jewel in the crown of your big you know English vacation or European vacation or you know people come from all over the place, uh, that okay, even if okay, I got my two hundred euros back, but I didn't get to you know where am I going to sit in my hotel room when it's raining out instead of whatever? So right. I mean, you can't change the weather, but you can change how you deal with what surrounds it. And it's not like this is, you know, a, a massive freak rainstorm in Abu Dhabi or something. This is right. it's the Midlands of England. Right. Of course, the time I was there in 06, it was like 80 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny the whole week. And I was like, I thought it rained over here. <laughs> but no, it was beautiful. It was hot and everything. So, um, And I mean, think about the people that don't even have uh, crowns or yeah. jewels to put in those right. crowns. And all they have is one in one weekend. I mean, that. The 99%, right. if you will. Right. <laughs> no, I, and so it's it understood that, you know, at the same time, uh, Silverstone's hands were tied because the conditions were really nasty, and when things are really wet, you can do a lot more erosion damage than you can when things are dry. And you know, if people are getting stuck; it's only getting condition, only getting worse. And the people, as more people go, it just gets worse for everybody. I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but it's it's not some easy thing to swallow for the fans, especially when it's such a popular race, right? And, I mean, every every team has, you know, many, many teams are based around there. I mean, Force India is based across the the road, literally right at Silverstone. You know, within within a few miles, you've got, you know, virtually half the grid. Right. Uh, and then 
but even the teams that are based elsewhere have connections there. I mean, it's just it's that is sort of the center of of, of motor racing, really, it's the center of F1. Uh, so it's yeah, there's lots of you know whether it's the celebrities, whether it's the VIPs, whether it's people that actually work on the cars, and you know the, just the whole the whole circus around there. Um, so yeah, the high end folks are going to have their helicopters in and out, but even the weather was enough to slow down the air traffic for a while, and there was you know air traffic jams, which is kind of nuts in itself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were definitely some talks of, okay, yeah, you can't change the weather, but you can maybe spend more money to pave some of these, you know, you know, dirt parking lots yeah. to be able to, then when it does rain, this doesn't become a whole mud pit, you know. Well, and the traffic on the roads outside, okay, Silverstone can't change the whole region in the roads. Right. There's just not good big motorways right there. But And we have local experience with this. I'm, you know, the Detroit Grand Prix, which uh, has been at times an F1 event, but more recently an IndyCar event, an ALMS event, Grand Am as well, I suppose. Um, that was something they changed recently and made a huge difference is they paved the paddock yeah. uh, for the, like, the 2007 race when they brought it back. And, and those, type of, those type of commitments, they're not cheap, but those are the type of things that uh, make the experience better and make the race more um, you know, acceptable to all climate conditions. So maybe you know, Silverstone, they don't seem to be afraid of spending money. They just built you know, the huge new pit uh, complex and like reconfigure the track and all these kind of things so maybe it's worth spending some more money to pave more parking lot areas yeah and, that and that's what's thing. weird about it right because it's the, this wing complex which benefits like we're talking about a second ago you know the one percent the people that flew in in helicopters because now they have even more luxurious luxury suites or they have right. you know those kind of things when the normal everyday just people you know the fans that are some of the most enthusiastic about you know going and see their heroes and see their you know, cheer on their team and the whole thing these are the guys that have to park out in the nonsense if they can even get to the track at all and wait in these right. queues for hours and hours on the roads and all that. So it's like, you know, they spent so much money on this whole new complex, which was debatably even necessary. I mean, with you know, they just revamped the um, the the old pit complex in '07 anyway. You know, so it wasn't run down by other standards of other tracks or anything. But anyway, so it's this you know where they, they yes they're not afraid to spend money in certain areas where they can right. then get the money back through all the swanky deals and whatever, but you know, for the actual, you know, normal people that want to go enjoy a race, it's, uh, you know, it hasn't really been improved. And and when you went, it wrong. was, uh, you rode your bicycle, didn't you? Or you, not your bicycle, you rode, didn't you ride bikes We into did, the yeah, track? on yeah. Grand Prix Day, on, on the Sunday, yeah, we, we went to a, a, one of our colleagues' house, uh, I forgot the name of the little town, but it was just, uh, just you know, not, not too far from the track. It was and Berkshire Stinville. Something just like that. Very, uh, yes. And, um, and we, we rode bicycles in, you know, which right along the side of the track, we, well, the stopped traffic and we're just able to sort of cut down the side. Right. And right. we were able to actually bring our bikes right into the, uh, the track. Um, not the, the track itself, but the whole, you know, the area. Right. right. And, uh, and that was also really nice because all the stuff around Silverstone is around the outside. Um, and this was the older track layout before they went through the whole arena complex. But, you know, so to get from the start finish straight away to, you know, away around the the, uh, the far side of it is like around the outside. So having bicycles in there was really handy as well. Mm, so, mm. but even then, it was you know all sort of grassy, dirt, whatever. But it was it was dry, so it didn't matter. But you know, I could imagine that getting pretty nasty if uh, if it starts raining, and you can imagine it start raining in the English <laughs> Midlands in July. So anyway, um, there was a race, and there was qualifying for that race. Uh, I myself only got to catch half of it because. I wasn't able to watch live, and the coverage was delayed because they red flagged in the middle of Q2. Missed a good one, though. I Missed sounds a good like one. It. Unless you're a Jensen Button fan, in which case you saw all of his qualifying because I it did. ended in Q1. Q1. Just could not put it together. He had, What's frustrating about it is he did have the opportunity. I'm sure there was a reason every lap why he couldn't quite put it together, but 
by the time he fe- uh, finally had a clear lap, it was right towards the end of the session, and it was just—it was definitely starting to get wet. I mean, he was—he was a second and a half up on 17th position um, at the end of sector two in Q1. And then he finished like almost a second down, so he lost three seconds in the final sector of his final lap, and just you know. But it was like his fifth or sixth lap, so he had opportunity. His teammate put together a lap. I mean, it was there. He ran. It says according to qualifying, he ran twelve laps. Um, twelve in, laps in in Q one. Wow. So yeah. So it was the. So if you look at the grid um, as it stands, it actually looks remarkably normal considering as crazy as that session was. So it started out at its driest. And so the, the you know Q one set with the fastest times. Just looking at it, Q two was by uh, was was by far the slowest, and then Q three was in the middle, just right. because of the way the weather sure. shook it out. So uh, yeah, so it, it was like everyone get out on track, set a lap. Yes, there's going to be traffic, but everybody's got it. And as it, it was the the usual bottom six, you know, sometimes in a wet quality, we might see you know Nico Hulkenberg on pole out of nowhere, you know, one of these things with, uh, that happens. But um, it, it lined up remarkably normal, except Jensen Button out in 18th. So that was. That was disappointing. Uh, then, yeah, so Q2, as you say, was red flagged um, for about 90 minutes, I think it was. Wasn't um, that long? With six okay. minutes on the clock. So then, then there was a sort of second session of Q2 um, after, the, after the red flag. Uh, people came out and ended up setting times. And, uh, you know, that was times in the minute 56 to minute 57 region, um, which is about 10 seconds off um, what the, uh, the Q1 times were. So 10 seconds slower. So right. it's, you know, still quite a big difference. Um, but then, yeah, into into Q3 when uh, things did start to dry out and uh, people got some times in, uh, Grosjean spun uh, near the end of Q2. He did have a good enough time to advance, but he didn't get to run, so he was just out in 10th. Um, but then it was Fernando Alonso at the end of the day uh, with the most laps of anyone, 25 laps, um, coming through with pole position. And only only by a small margin over Weber. It was very, very close. But right. Alonso made it happen in the rain after some very big saves throughout, I think, each of the qualifying sessions. You know, there were all kinds of missteps and all kinds of offs just because it was so wet at these different times. So some heroic saves, but Alonso to come on and, uh, and make it happen was, was very cool. And it was very close, you know, just in the hundreds, which was neat for me to see just the, the data because that's all I got to see in the end. Very happy to see Michael Schumacher qualifying third, only a couple of tenths off Weber. And then in fourth was Vettel. And then a very nice qualifying run for Felipe Massa in fifth, all the way to Q3, and uh, not even at the bottom of Q3. Then uh, we saw Kimi Raikkonen in sixth, um, Pastor Maldonado doing uh, very well for Williams in seventh. Yeah, your boy, Pastor. As compared to Bruno Senna in 15th. And uh, Lewis Hamilton all the way back in eighth. And you described that he, he was looking very good, but just the timing didn't work out for him in Q3. Yeah, um, you know there was the, the very end of it. It was it was getting drier, then started to rain again. It was just it was kind of tricky, and I guess you know I didn't uh, get a whole debrief from uh, McLaren on that or anything, but it just never quite came together for him there. And uh, you know, still quite outqualified his teammate, uh, you know, by by ten spots, but right. um, not a brilliant run for Hamilton. Just the way it uh, kind of shook out. And just to close out this whole point, usually you know, considering the raining conditions and everything else, and Jensen's had bad luck in Silverstone in general. Um, the fact that he was the odd man out in Q1 isn't such a huge story, except for the fact that it's just piling on to this, what even I can no longer deny is a, is a trend of, of uh, lackluster performances here, and he, he needs to turn it around. He, he, he's running out of excuses of this is just a normal thing. You know? So uh, that's, that was what the most disturbing part about Jensen being the odd man out in Q1. Yeah. But anyway. But then we get into Sunday, 
And we turn on the coverage, and look at that. Blue skies, sun is out. It's yeah. not hot. It's like 66 degrees, you know, nice medium temperature uh, on the cool side for a lot of these European Grand Prix. But um, but no rain. You know, threat of rain maybe later on, maybe an hour and a half, whatever, but uh, ends up being dry for the whole race. So that opens up a whole other can of worms, right? Who's got a wet setup? Who's got a dry setup? And right, no right. one has any experience from this week on dry tires on a dry track. You know, there were a couple of times people went to super softs um, on, uh, on, you know, on a, on a drying track. But so at first, you know, this whole tire gamble and a few degrees one way or another, this, this, you know, is all kind of crazy because no one has any experience on, at Silverstone this weekend. Right, right. Also, there's no rubber on the track at all, uh, because all the, it was just raining torrentially and, and all this wet, wet weather tires and all that. So, um, that opened up the race a lot. And really, you know, the first couple of laps were just some very, very fun racing because everyone was just Working out, trying to find grip, trying well, to find their way around. Just a very, uh, very wild kind of couple of laps. You say fun. I would say chaotic, which is fun. But it was really crazy how much passing. It didn't see. It seemed like uh, it seemed like uh, there was just a scramble, and everyone, everyone was like running from some massive natural disaster, and it was just everyone was everywhere on the track. There was no racing line to speak of, and it was uh, fascinating to watch. It did finally settle down. And uh, ended up being a fantastic race to watch. Um, you know, Mark Webber did a fantastic job to pull out the win um, at the British Grand Prix. Fernando Alonso ended up finishing second with Sebastian Vettel um, finishing out the podium in third. Yeah, and, you know, Alonso did well in qualifying. And you figure, okay, Alonso, you know, like we've talked about, can kind of drive the doors off of whatever he's given in whatever conditions. And, and you know, he's one of those drivers that can really make something special happen. But to see him then continue on in the race and do as well as he did, um, I was I was a little bit surprised. It seems like, it, you know, maybe the Red Bulls will go on past him and, and so on. But um, Alonso held the lead of the race um, up until with – what was it, four laps to go or something at the yeah. very end when, when yeah. Weber was closing in and Alonso maybe played the tire strategy just a little, you know, the, the, the timing a little bit wrong or didn't well, quite have the pace he needed to, to hold up his tires to the end of the race. That was the key difference, wasn't it? Uh, you know, Alonso started on the prime tire and stayed on the prime tire for the vast majority of the race, going to the softs at the end. Mark Weber, on the other hand, started on the soft tire and switched to the hard tires and stayed on the hard tire till the end. And it seemed as though uh, it seemed as though that uh, the two uh, different strategies were to come out about on par, and since Alonso started the race in the lead, he was going to be able to keep the lead. But even with Alonso having fresher tires, the fact that they were the soft tire on the Ferrari didn't seem to net them advantage, and uh, Mark Webber was really able to continue to close the gap even after Alonso's pit stop, which. He did with, I don't know, I'm not looking at things. He did it with maybe 10 laps to go, 12 laps to go. I should look that up. And but was able to had, come out and stay in the yeah, lead. Had Weber covered by four or five seconds. and uh, But even that, Red Bull, uh, the Red Bull, uh, with older prime tires still, uh, clawed the Ferrari back and ended up being a great, great battle for the lead, which uh, Mark Weber won. But Alonso... Just again and again and again, when the car is bad, he does. Uh, he still does strong results. When the car is good, he does really strong results. I mean, he's he's continuing to lead the drivers' championship as a result. He's lost a little bit of ground to now second place in the drivers' championship, Mark Webber. But um, you know, we're pretty much halfway done. We've got uh, Germany will be the official uh, halfway mark, but 
you know, Alonzo in the lead at the halfway point, no one was expecting that. Yeah, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I mean, there is, there's only so many races of good Ferrari results where we can really say he's driving a, an inferior car. I mean, what's been amazing is the, 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 the change, you know, the, the Delta from the preseason testing when they came up with this really, really ugly Ferrari and it looked and it yeah. didn't run and very it well. it drove the way it looked, yeah. Yeah, um, and then, you know, and then Massa hasn't been able to do anything magical with it except in the, since Monaco he's really sort of come, come together. Well, that's um, just it, you know. Now, since Monaco, and that was always the... Th- that was always what we argued before. Is it's really hard to gauge the actual performance of the of the Ferrari because there's not a teammate that's reliable enough to say, yeah, both teammates are struggling, or no way the other teammate's doing well. Well, now they've made tweaks to the car that seems to please Massa a lot more. He's been getting stronger and stronger, and uh, this race is uh, no different. He ended up finishing uh, fourth place. Very strong result for him. Uh, Best uh, best result for him for the year by far. He earned more points today than he's earned all year, mm-hmm. and and we're almost halfway. I and mean, we're almost we'll halfway. That, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely clear that the Ferrari has come on and made big big progress. But to me, what's impressive about Alonso is that even when the Ferrari was clearly not as strong, he was still getting results that were keeping himself competitive mm-hmm. and. You can't you can't be in the you can't be in the lead of the drivers constructor championship um, almost halfway through the season when the car is only good for you know the final four races. I mean he's been making results, right. especially early on, maximizing when the conditions are a little bit different, making really good strategy calls, never putting wheel wrong. So it, it's it's great to see him continue to do such a strong result. Right, but ultimately. Today, you know, Weber got the best of him, and I think, you know, Weber, um, you, you know, it's he's been this this number two with Vettel. There's been all the you know the, the controversy back and forth, especially at the British Grand Prix. Yes, um, but you know, Weber, it's really come together for him. He is ahead of Vettel in the drivers' championship now, exactly. Uh, which you know is is interesting, knowing the politics of Red Bull and whoever is the faster driver, whoever's ahead in the championship, exactly, is, that's, is our guy. That's and it's exactly like, what I was going to bring even up. Even if it's Weber, though, <laughs> right? Ex- I mean, that's what I'm so desperate for. Is you know, Weber is firmly ahead of Vettel in the championship. He's won more races than Vettel. He's ahead in the drivers' tra- championship. So, in all uh, objective measures, Weber is the lead driver in Red Bull right now. So I so desperately want there to be a new nose that they want to try or something and see Weber get the preferred treatment. I desperately right. want to see that. So, And that's the battle right now in the championship as well is, is mirrored by this race um, with Alonso and, and Weber really are – well, they are the top two. Uh, Vettel, of course, is not, not really to be written off you know, by any means. Um, clearly. Um, but uh, so it's, it's – you know where does that go? It's either uh, Alonso, who, yes, he's a double world champion, but that's almost from another era now. 05, 06 in the Renault. I mean, that's a really, it's a pretty big difference in F1 from now, from when he won his championship. So it would be his first championship with Ferrari, which is a sort of a whole chapter in his career and everything. Sure. Um, or possibly Weber, uh, championship-wise, who, of course, has knocked on the door several times and, and you know, only just gotten his, started winning in, in, the, in the last few years and all that. But, um, you know, would be, I think, sort of a crowd favorite. And, and this is his best chance, I think, is, is easy to sort of say. Um, with the way his career is and with the, where the opportunities are and so on, it's you know likely that this is going to be his best crack at the, the Drivers' Championship. And I think a lot of people will be very happy to see that come through for him. 
because um, Vettel fans have been happy for years. You know, <laughs> they're, <laughs> right. they're back-to-back, youngest wonder kid ever in the whole thing, uh, which was, of course, Alonzo in his day was the youngest ever, and then back-to-back and the whole deal. So um, it's all come back around. So, yeah, if, if Vettel comes on to win again, there's certainly Vettel fans out there, and they're going to be happy. But if it's either Alonzo or Weber, that's a, it's like a bigger deal in a variety of ways, and it would be very cool to see either of those guys uh, you know, to do well in their, in their current setup. Um, but yeah, I've just got to give Weber credit for being, being smart today. I mean, even from the, from the very start, from Alonso doing this crazy chop across the track. Right, absolutely. Um, for Weber to, to react to that very well and lose as little momentum as, as was possible in that situation, I think. And um, it just sort of it looked really pretty crazy from, uh, from the outside. So on board uh, must, have been, must have been something. So but just which, to play it really smart. Which one do you think between the two? So we both agree that uh, they, they both drove really well and they're leading their 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship, yada, yada, yada. Between the two, which one drove better? Um, I would, I guess, quantitatively have to say Weber, having started lower and finishing where it matters. You know, you don't get any points for qualifying. So so I disagree. And the reason is, uh, quantitatively, yes, uh, Mark Weber did score more points than Fernando Alonso today. And from starting, not just starting, kept keeping where he started, but from moving up in front of him. I think that means he had a better strategy, drove better, had, you know. Fair together. point. I think, though, that he drove very, very well in a very, very good car, whereas Fernando drove well, in a good car. There's one less good in the Ferrari's car, you see. Or was it a very? I don't, yes, maybe it was one less very. Doesn't matter. Point being, I think Alonso, in my book, still gets kind of the drive of the race because he, he got a pole position in variable conditions. That wasn't a, the Ferrari's the quickest car. That was Alonso's the quickest, car, quickest driver in these conditions. That's how he got pole position. He was on the prime tire and made a brilliant start a touch on the aggressive side for my liking, but no one seemed to have uh, any bad words for it. Everyone got away clean, so no harm, no foul, I guess. And, you know, was definitely very close to winning this race in a car that, at least Alonso would agree with me, is still not as quick as the Red Bull. And I, I think he drove very, very well. And um, those last closing laps when uh, Alonso and Weber were fighting, Alonso put up a heck of a battle against Weber, even though Weber's car was clearly quicker. So, uh, you know, definitely strong drives from both of them. But I think, you know, on par with everything, Alonso drove better than Weber today. Fair enough. I, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, then the other thing we've got uh, is this Maldonado crash. Just like last week, we had Dude, a Maldonado no, no, yeah, crash. Uh, no, you, you got it all wrong. The Maldonado crash was in Valencia with, against Hamilton. We're, we're talking about Britain now. Right. Except there's another Maldonado crash. Oh, right. Or is it another one. racing incident? So walk me through how this is Perez's fault this time. So Perez steals rides. <laughs> and Every once in a while, he just randomly feels really bad about it so, and crashes into the nearest person he can find. So let, let me start off right at the bat with saying no. I do not think this was Perez's fault in any way, shape, or form. However, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm definitely still less of a Maldonado hater than I think most of the rest of the world because, uh, I, so I guess it's just me in Venezuela hanging out because... Um, in so let's talk about what happened here first. Too. Well, what happened was uh, the two were racing side by side. They entered into a left-hander. I don't know which corner it was. I don't remember. Hmm. But they entered into a left-hander side by side. Perez was on the outside, gave... Maldonado, plenty of room, and Maldonado on the inside slid wide into Perez. They kind of spun together in tandem, 
it was enough to break uh, Perez's left rear suspension. His day was done. Uh, Maldonado cut a tire, but he was able to get back to the pits and continue to go. Um, the steward said, oh, we're going to look at this after the race, and ended up giving Maldonado a 10,000 euro fine for um, causing a racing incident. So I agree that this was not Perez's fault at all, and I also think that um, Maldonado was the one that initiated the accident. What I disagree with is the fact that it was more than a racing incident. And the reason is, is I think, I think it was a mistake on Maldonado's part. I don't think anything was done deliberately. It wasn't any kind of attempt to push Perez off the track or to, um, or to, you know, force, force him to, uh, back off because he was running wider than Perez thought he would. I think it was simply... He lost control of the car. And uh, I read a report that said that Maldonado said exactly that. It's, you know, he didn't say it was his fault, which is definitely unfortunate. But he did say, I lost control of the car in entry, which made me slide wide into Perez. So, I mean, the way I look at it is it's, it's a racing incident. It's unfortunate. But I don't think it's the type of thing that... I don't think Maldonado is trying to take everybody off. I don't think he has... I don't think he has some kind of overly, um, you know, I, I think it was just a simple incident and it, it, it's just made more difficult to swallow the fact that Maldonado's been visiting the stewards a lot recently. Yeah. It's a bit, it's like Jensen saying, oh, this is just a one-off bad qualifying. It's like, yes, but what about last time? And what about the time before that? Right, so exactly. the fact that, okay, maybe he hasn't been trying to take other people out, but has he been trying hard enough not to take other people out is another way, I guess, of phrasing the question where, yeah. Yes, okay, this may have been a mistake, but you know, it's he's put himself in such a situation where he's being that aggressive, sort of forcing himself into that mistake, um, where lots of other people made lots of other passes on track. Absolutely. Clean and fine and a couple other incidents, but nothing quite like this. But the fact that it's time and time again that we have to debate about whether it was a racing incident, well, whether it okay, was okay, a... but this is the second time we've actually debated about it. Now it's back to back, but it, I mean, just to be fair, well, okay, well, time and no, time again isn't fair either. Okay, so so there's what Spa um, last year with with Hamilton when it's like right after the checkered flag and Quali, and he like you know whether he cuts him off or whether he was just trying to dry his tires. Okay, or... but what all the Hamilton v Massa stuff? What do you, whatever you say, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that, that we had we had lively debates one way or another, and this and this had nothing to do with Hamilton in this case. This is you know. So, but my my point is, you know, I guess what I'm insinuating, and and we haven't stated it yet, is Perez's comments afterward that you know he Maldonado doesn't deserve to be an F1. He's a dangerous driver. You know, all the other drivers are concerned about him. He needs to be punished more severely so he gets the message. These type of these type of comments, I guess I was kind of inferring that uh, level of anger about Maldonado. Is that really justified? Yeah, and, and I'm not so sure that it is. I, I think th- it is. I mean, I, I mean, every everything they're doing out there is is dangerous. There's always the potential for it to go wrong, as we even just talked about at the top of the show. It's right. easy to forget that you know this can go very wrong very quickly. So, um, you know, they talked about a, a, a penalty situation. Like like in other sports, where if you've got a certain number of fouls uh, or a certain number of of you know penalties, that those add up, and all of a sudden, oh look, you can't you can't play for the rest of this game, or maybe for the next game, or right, you know if, right. it, if you translate it to races or qualifyings or whatever. So does you know then you get the the penalties being weird in that 
uh, okay, a drive-through penalty will affect you a certain amount in a race. But although if, if the guy you crashed into is out of the race, then a drive-through maybe it sets you back a couple of places, but it doesn't penalize you as, as fairly as the other guy was penalized because the other guy's out of the race entirely. Right. But okay. Again, then there's I mean, twenty-second penalties after the fact. Then there's and then there's what does a ten thousand euro fine get right, you so what when you so, have a when you have a forty million dollar a year sponsor? Right. So what that's saying is is like after he pays that penalty, he's back to being on the same clean slate as every other driver. You know, there's not sort of a sense of carrying over uh-huh. that like every time he's investigated, it's let's look at this incident in isolation, which is maybe not fair to other drivers where, yeah, sometimes other racing incidents happen. I mean, I think even, even today with, uh, between the, the Lotus and the Force India, uh, with, with ended up with Paul DeResta spinning off and Grosjean having to go into the pits for new nose, that was a racing incident, and those guys can be judged as just what it, what happened here. Okay, it was just this crazy new schmazzle, you know, But if, if Maldonado admits to making a, sta- making a mistake in the entry, then why isn't that a racing incident? Is it because he also had an incident with Hamilton? And then it's solely because he also had an incident with Hamilton that it can't just be a racing incident? I mean, I guess that I had a mistake um, is, you know, quite quite an admission in itself. Because was I forced into that because because I put myself in a situation, you know, I had a mistake defending my position so hard that I couldn't hold on to the car is a little bit different than, like, I was just driving, doing my normal thing, being a completely fair racer, and all of a sudden just made a mistake. Or is like, you know, I was pushing really, really hard to defend this, and, and that's what they consider the judgment call, not to say, okay, I've, I've, I've you know, I've been passed, I need to back off now, um, you know, and then, you know, but really trying to keep it going, you know, past when, uh, when is reasonable to do so, and then, so then they made a mistake in trying to be unreasonable, I guess, is, is another way to, to look at it. So, um, so, I mean, the fact that this happens time and time again, um, with, with Maldonado specifically, uh, I mean, he's got, he's had some really good drives. I mean, that's what's, what's sort of weird about it. If he were no, I mean, he's had some really good drives, I mean, and he's been schooling Senna in terms of performance right. in a lot of ways. And so that's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's, it's not the same as... You know, if if this were you know Noreen Kartikeyan crashing into people or whatever, and it's like you know, and, and it's just a much slower car, and there's a whole other you know series of right. of whatever. But sure. it, you know, he's in in qualifying in the wet and everything. He, you know, he was able to to hold it down and do quite well. But I think he doesn't quite have the respect for when to back off a slight bit for the sake of safety, for the sake of his other drivers, for the sake of of whatever. And if the penalties continue the way that there are, he's not really incentivized to do so because he says. Okay, I'm going to defend this really, really hard. If I end up sliding into this other car, oh well, that was a mistake. That wasn't my fault. And then the fact that they got a penalty that was ten thousand euros, which, like you say, doesn't really affect anything, um, then he sort of, in a way, I don't say got away with it. I mean, he he ended up, you know, it, it did. I mean, he it, certainly suffered for it. He suffered for it. He ended up sixteenth, but Perez suffered for it more when Perez was just trying to make a clean pass, and and Maldonado was arguably, I think, pushing too hard. So I mean, so uh, maybe that's the the in and and. If something terrible happens, at, you know, Maldonado crashes into somebody and it, it goes terribly wrong and flips up upside down or who knows, you know, whatever weird well, situation yeah. happens, then then you may change your tune, I think. But, but in my way of thinking, here's the thing about it. Any Formula One driver, in my mind, is already extremely highly incentivized to finish the race. I mean, it's it's no one out there, in my opinion, thinks, oh, I'll either win or crash. No big deal. You know what I mean? And I, I, so I, I can't think practically that any driver out there doesn't want to finish the race, first and foremost. So uh, 
So I think right there, the, the, he already has plenty of incentive to you know be clean as often as possible. And, but, and I also think I also think that he, um, I agree with you in the sense that I think he would definitely personally benefit hugely by taking a long look at the way his recent race performances performances have gone and say to himself, okay, maybe I need to rethink just in general my judgment about when is the right time to defend and how severely versus letting it go and just trying to get the feeling back, get some clean races under his belt and kind of get back in the groove just for his own championship, for his own performance's sake and for the sake of the team. I mean, I think I I agree with you that he has made judgment calls that have cost him. Right. And And there's no denying that, but I, but I guess what makes it a little bit tough for me is it's it's a little frustrating to say that any time a driver makes a mistake and there's an incident, does that deserve a penalty? And it's as a racing steward, you have to be very careful to say, um, to say, okay, regardless of the person's reputation or whatever happened recently, you have to look at something at a case by case basis with as little bias as possible. Do you though? I mean, if if Maldonado makes a little error every time, that is only worthy of a fine, but not a drive-through or a disqualification. But this happens several times over the course of a series of races. I don't know if it's if it's fair to look at that in isolation every time. Say, oh, this was just a little thing. Oh, this was just a little thing. Or if if at some point you say, wait a minute, this guy has you know what we sort of are, you know, could be this way, could be that way, but racing incidents. But it's the same guy is involved in all of them. Like, yeah. Maybe it's not just. You know, maybe he's, it's, he's, he's on this line. And I agree that, yeah, everyone's incentive is to win the race, you know, and then next best is to, to place as high as you can at the finish. I mean, sure. no one goes into the race being like, I'm going to make it to lap 14 and then I'm going to crash and it's going to be great. But different people under pressure will remember that differently, right? You know, I think that's like Alonzo thing we're talking about where in the heat of the moment, when someone is coming up trying to pass you or someone is really, really close to you and inches away or whatever – is to have the presence of mind to not just, you know, defensively like, oh, he's right there. Let me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this guy no matter what. I'm not gonna let him around. Or to think, wait a minute, he's doing this. I'm doing that. Here's what my tires are. Here's what his situation is. If I back off here, this is gonna save it. And that's what the top drivers are able to do, sure. in my opinion. Where I agree, Maldonado's not going into the race thinking I'm gonna crash into Perez. But as soon as something goes pear-shaped for him, then it's 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 falls away from that logical and what should I accomplish here? What do my sponsors want? What does the team want? It yeah. falls away from that more quickly than it ought to. And I think there's some truth in that. I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I guess I would, I would then say he's a sophomore driver. Last year, his championship was a bit on the chaotic side, but he was learning. This year, he's proven to be capable. And I think we've seen some chaotic drives from some now top drivers. I mean, Ma- Massa was a wrecking ball for a long time before he made it to Ferrari. Then, you know, he had some time to mature and, um, you know, and then it, uh, you know, was this close. And I'm making very little space between my two fingers right now. That's how close. To a championship in 2008. And, uh, you know, has gone to become a very respected driver. Okay, more recently there's been some issues, you know, post-spring. But my, my, you know, Lewis Hamilton... Definitely had a run in his earlier career, and also last year when Jensen Button was doing really strong. So I think Maldonado 
sophomore year. He's trying really hard, and he has a lot of heart, and he's proven to have some pace. And I feel like people are taking it a step too far when they when they start saying things like he's unsafe for F1 and those type of things. These. In my, I mean, I still don't agree that Maldonado did anything ridiculously bad in Valencia. I'm obviously in the minority there, but I still didn't see Maldonado do anything terribly egregious there. This incident, I agree, it was Maldonado's mistake. It was Maldonado's mistake, absolutely. But I think what my point is is he wasn't. The mistake wasn't. I'm I'm trying to push this guy wide to keep my to keep my position. The mistake was, oh crap, I lost. I lost control of the car on entry, which caused a mistake. Unfortunate, definitely not Perez's fault. Perez definitely suffered. But it's not necessarily Maldonado is such a hot-tempered guy that he can't control himself. It's that he's a sophomore driver that's trying really hard that made a mistake. And, I mean, you know, his performance in Canada when he was qualifying, and, you know, he was doing the fastest lap in all of Q2, and then right at the very last corner he hits the wall of champions. I love the fact that he's got so much heart and he's trying so hard and he really wants to do well. I mean, so that, that's what I guess I want to defend is he's just a guy trying really hard and wants to do well. Right. And and I guess I'm not in the crowd of he's unsafe for F1 and that he should be banned from the series and super license revoked or that kind of level. And I think there are people saying that. But that if we give this guy a penalty that actually affects him, that really matters, it says hey, if you do this again, you know, then it will be a, a, a one-race suspension or whatever. Something that really then the sponsors are going to go, what the hell, hold on. And that, you know, that, that is a big effect, rather than, you know, $10,000 or 20 seconds here or there or whatever, but a, something that really will, you know, cause whoever, whatever people, uh, you know, his, his manager, his engineer, the rest of the team around him, Frank Williams, you know, whatever, to really, you know, sit and reflect with him and think, okay, hold on, what... Right. How so, is this going on, and, 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 and what can we do? Like, that may be what it takes, um, because so far he's had, you know, just lots of these different little little things here and there, and sort of lapses in judgment, perhaps, or I, I Lapses in judgment, I wouldn't argue with that term, but I guess my only point is, my, is, uh, my guess is, is that he's already having that conversation with Frank Williams. He's already having that conversation with the race engineer. They're already going to say, dude, you need to finish races if you want to do well here. I, I, I can't imagine those conversations aren't already happening, regardless of any penalties. Do you know what I mean? So if, in my mind, if Maldonado tried to purposely push Perez off the track and it ended up in that result, result I would completely agree with everything. But I guess, it, to me, it seemed pretty clear that it was a mistake, that he made a mistake on entry, that he had a wiggle in the car and it slid wide into Perez. And uh, so I, that's that's my only thing, is that those conversations, those stop and pauses to think about those, that's already there regardless of the penalty. And I don't think any penalty other than kicking him out of the championship or whatever, you know, banning him for a race is going to be, you know, I don't think it's going to have any effect other than what's naturally going to occur, which is there's already going to be serious conversations about, hey, you need to finish races. Well, a conversation that is you need to finish races, okay, I will, is one thing. But if it's, if there is a definite or else to it, which is you need to finish races or else you're, you know, you're being talked about to being, you know, excluded from a race or two, which means they have to bring in another driver and they have to, you know, that guy gets points if he does instead of this guy. And like the, it's, it's that or else at the end of the conversation 
that I think may be the motivator because I'm sure they've had these conversations probably after the original run-in with Hamilton and of you know like after the session even ended the fact that that was even that they even came together at all in that situation sure. is stupid yeah. uh, and and those kind of things which is you know and then he's a rookie driver at that point so you say okay dude hold on you know calm down let's talk about what's important yeah. here and how we have to conduct ourselves and all that uh, and yet we've still had issues down the road, so, you know, whether the racing incidents, whether they've been honest mistakes, whether they've been mistakes because he's put himself in a situation that it's sort of that was the only outcome. However, we however we look at that um, is is where the debate lies. But if there is that or else as part of the conversation, then that may be that's where I think the penalty may matter if it's a penalty that Agreed. You know, really makes the, it happen. Again, I I still think the or else is there. I guess the the one sticking point that I guess does give your argument a little bit of credibility in Maldonado's case specifically is that or else we'll get another driver to do your job is a little more difficult when Pastor has so much money to bring to the table. For a team like Williams, that's going to give Pastor a little bit more leverage than the average guy. And I think that's the complaint is that that, you know, that's why he's there, which I, I don't I don't agree, completely agree with because, of course, there are other paid drivers that don't have nearly well, the results that he Santa has. Santa doesn't have the money that... Maldonado does. Right. Maldonado has definitely been quicker this year. Right. Um, so, you know, there's there's that there's obviously the money side of it, but then then that that gets back to the question of is that is that what we want for F1 and right. whether that matters or not is doesn't really matter because that's what we have for that's real life and that's how economics are and whatever. But but I don't I don't think it matters how much money Maldonado brings to the table if he is wrecking. $40 million worth of wings and cars and tubs and stuff like that, then him bringing $40 million to the table isn't doing anybody any good. And I don't think Frank Williams or any other leadership within Williams is going to have a problem sacking him and getting another driver. Yeah. I mean, in my, in, in my opinion, you know, the incentives are already really strong. Now, you know, it, it, this, is two race, this is two incidents in two races. And so I think it's a little quick to judge too harshly. But I agree with you if, you know, just like... I'm That's what F1 fans do, though. But it's if, quick, harsh judgment. <laughs> I mean, if, 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 we get, if we get three, four races in and it's like, okay, there's more, then I agree with you. It's like, okay, there's a trend here. But I feel like we have to... I guess we personally, you and I, have to be very careful in, in saying, is this really a fundamental issue with this guy or is it a couple of terrible coincidences that have happened and you know did the penalty you know if the penalty is there to give him a slap on the wrist that's one thing if the penalty is there to try to affect his uh affect his uh, performance in the way he does things i feel like that is already just built into the sport as it is okay and i look forward <laughs> and I, well, I look forward to seeing how the fans weigh in on this i think i have an idea how fans are yeah gonna weigh I, in. I think i do too but <laughs> i think um, i know where i stand <laughs> you can you can email feedback at f1show.com or if you just go right to f1show.com there's links to our facebook page and twitter feed and all those kind of things so uh and you can comment right on the post there as well so let, let us know uh where where you fall and uh and and why you do because you know that's that's the more interesting thing right is is how you know how we've all thought about this and come to different conclusions about it because uh it's i don't think a, a black and white issue and definitely something that's uh, interesting for debate um jensen button okay uh speaking of a couple of random bad races in a row yeah it's or a is it a fundamental issue with the guy it's a tread i mean the here's the thing that really bothered me you know, when he was right behind 
Nico Hulkenberg, then Bruno Senna, then himself, 9th, 10th, 11th. He caught him up. He was within Durr's range, and he couldn't get around them. And he finally got around Hulkenberg because Hulkenberg slid wide after Senna uh, forced a pass that was mm-hmm. a pretty brilliant pass. And then Jensen um, capitalized on that and ended up Gen- uh, Senna 9th, Jensen 10th. But the fact that he couldn't get around both Hulkenberg and Senna for ninth in that condition, in the McLaren, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it was really hard to swallow. Right. I mean, partly that he's in that situation in the first place right. because of the qualifying that happened. Right. Um, which, and even that, you can say, okay, you know, Weber's had bad qualifying. You know, we've, yeah. we've had... It was wet, dry, but, it was odd things, blah, still, blah, blah, blah. But it's, still, that it's right. over and over. And, right. then, and yeah, and then, you know, we sort of say, oh, he's behind, you know, he's behind Senna. Oh, that, that probably won't last long, right? That'll be a couple of laps. You know, right. He was gaining on them both. He was within a second. He was in Durr's range. He had Kurs. He and had Turs. Never, he had all the errs you could think of. Never came together. I mean, it, it, it's just, it seems like, yeah, whether it's getting heat in the front tires and having these lockups and then losing pace there, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, something that, if, that's, if it's his brake feel is wrong, so that's why he's, he's messing up the tires in the first place. I mean, you know, especially last year, we saw Jensen being the bike, one of the best able to really get magic out of these tires, right? Uh, uh, to really, you know, go go deeper on soft tires than anyone, and really play some strategic, uh, you know, games with that, with doing stints that other people couldn't, right? And now it's the opposite. Now it's yeah. it's he really can't get to grips with him. Uh, tire pun. Get it? Yeah. And it's just it's disappointing because, you know, now um, you know we've talked about the Ferrari, the the imbalance between the teammates. And now with Massa doing better, and then Button with a result like this, where right. he, um, what started 18th, or no, he moved up a little bit. Well, he was on the grid in 16th because of various. Because you know, there were there were two penalties and two gearbox changes. Exactly. It was a whole big. Uh, so he ended up thing. 16th on the grid. Ended uh, up finishing 10th. Yeah. So when you look at that compared to compared, I mean Hamilton didn't do a whole lot better today, but uh, that was that was another race in itself. But uh, it's you know. It really is starting to stack up pretty poorly for Jensen, enough that it's, you know, matters in the championship. You know, now it's not just, oh, it's a couple of races, but we've got 20, so this will all come together and whatever. Uh, I mean, as it stands now, Lewis is fourth in the championship with 92 points. Jensen is eighth with 50 points. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big difference. And as, as we know, I mean, Jensen with his one win uh, from Australia, that's half of his points right there. So since that race in, in eight following races he's he's managed to get a 25 more points um it's just it's he's hurting yeah and you know it's it's been several races in now and uh, he needs to he needs to get something going he needs to get it going just for himself i mean he's kind of in a rut and it's gonna benefit him the most uh to uh you know pull himself out of it and just get to the bottom of what's going on he was you know he was quick early in the season i'm sure I'm sure the car's performance relative to the rest of the field was better at the beginning of the season than it is now. Um, you know, that can that seems to be true with the way McLaren, you know, with uh, the way Hamilton performed as well. But, yeah, I mean, there's just too many bad performances in a row here, and uh, he needs to step it up. just been a bad season. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the Mercedes cars for a second here. Sure. Um, they appeared to be uh, they, they were looked quite good in qualifying, which of course was wet and dry and wet again and pause and restarted and all that. But uh, they ended up doing pretty well with uh, Schumacher third, uh-huh. and uh, what's 
Rosberg did not do so great. 11th. Yeah. Uh, so just not, not quite making the cut out of, uh, out of Q2, but, um, you know, sort of nipping at his heels. But so that, that is um, as much as the, the cliched rainmeister, good in the rain, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, whether that's partly down to just Schumacher actually being magical in the rain and Rosberg not, but we've seen some good Rosberg rain performances before. Right. But this is a, an, an outperformance. I mean, that was that is a, a quite a big different, quite a big difference in uh, in qualifying to Schumacher. But um, you know, and that, I mean, that puts Schumacher ahead of a lot of top guys in qualifying. Um, and then and then to carry on through the race, uh, Schumacher did slip back, um, but. I mean, Rosberg was was like nowhere today. Um, Schumacher in the did. Race. Schumacher did slip back, um, but but he did finish the race, and he did actually score some points. So you know, for Schumacher, honestly, that's not a that's, bad. That's a reliable day for Schumacher. His I mean, car makes it all the way to the end. He finished seventh. He got six points for his efforts. And he qualified third, which is a great qualifying uh, position. You know, it's such a cliche to hear um, the different commentators talking about, oh, this person's good in the rain, that person's good in the rain. They end up talking about, you know, seven-eighths of the field. Like, yeah, everyone but that guy is good in the rain or whatever. Or who's really good at pit stops or who's, who's right. hard to pass or who's good at passing. It's, right, it's, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but Schumacher's performance in the rain at Silverstone yesterday I thought was impressive. And uh, and that was, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, it, DRS wasn't you were not allowed to use DRS. No, not in, in the way. Yeah. Right. So um they did that without their trick, you know, W double DRS system and all that kind of stuff. And he he was quite quick. He they didn't have the same performance in the dry, but it was still respectable considering how much competition there is this year. To finish seventh and to be competing against uh Raikkonen, Massa, Vettel, Alonzo Weber and Romain Grosjean as well. I mean and Lewis Hamilton, you know, that was those were the people he was tangling against, and he he did very well. So I thought really it was a respectable performance. Plus, he's had such crummy luck this year. Um, uh, you know, more recently he got his podium, which was really cool. But you know, he uh, you know, I think he deserves some better results, and I think he's 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 racing really hard for them. Rosberg, on the other hand, was just nowhere all day. It just crummy, crummy, crummy race performance. And, uh, you know, one suspicion is, you know, maybe Mercedes was uh, betting on a wet race and maybe maybe Rosberg, more than Schumacher, really put all his uh, all his uh, money on one bet, which was a wet race, and the car was just not set up appropriately. Yeah, as I was reading through the articles after the race, I saw one from before the race where, where Rosberg said, oh, yeah, if it rains, we're in great shape. Mm-hmm. Of course, the corollary of that is if it doesn't rain, <laughs> right. uh, I have a set up. My car's going to be way too soft. I'm not going to be able to get the temperatures that I want. I'm right. going to be fighting with it the whole day. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to uh, to kind of go through and, and you know, it, it sort of fell apart for him there. Um, I, I mean, with the reliability issues and everything, though, I mean, we have to say Nico Rosberg, sixth in the championship with 75 points, is well ahead of Schumacher in 12th, who's got 23 points. Right. I mean, that is a very big disparity in points. So yes. a lot of those, we can say driver-wise, are not um, are not the driver's fault. But at the end of the day, that's you know what matters really are the points. And in that regard, Rosberg, uh, at this point in the season, is you know almost three times or more, or three times more than three times the points of. Uh, of what Schumacher has been able to put together. Um, However, in Valencia, Schumacher was uh, third versus uh, Rosberg finishing sixth. And, you know, here in Silverstone, uh, Schumacher finished seventh 
and uh, Rosberg was in 15th. So the last two races have been um, going Schumacher's way, and if you look at the first seven races, it was very clearly uh, going Rosberg's way. Half of that was Schumacher's car just falling apart on him. Half of it was Schumacher making a mistake here and there. But either way, uh, the last couple of races have been much stronger for Schumacher, and not only stronger for Schumacher, but better than his teammate as well. Yeah, um, so, we'll, I mean, we'll see, because there, there is still more than half of the season to go, and, yes. of course, the points now, I mean, these, all these points count, and all these matters, all these matters, so it uh, certainly could switch all around. I'm sure it will switch all around between I'm actually then, but... really glad you said that, because I was just about to ask, when do the points start counting? Yeah, well... Because I knew it was coming up. It's not like the NASCAR, there's the chase, and then there's the whole <laughs> yeah, second exactly. run to the chase to the cup and the whole deal. It's, uh, you know, the uh, it, it all matters, but uh, at some point you sort of have to start looking at that overall and think okay well where where is everyone because some of these some of these deficits really do start to matter and uh you know still with 25 points for a win and uh with you know various different teams still knocking on the doors of wins and and uh you know schumacher not having had one in his comeback yet but maybe you well know? germany would be epic right you know it's uh two german drivers for a german make german uh uh you know automaker so based in england but you know whatever whatever uh, you know, run by an Englishman, but you know, either way, it says Mercedes on the front of the car. It Both does. drivers are German. Norbert Hogg is there for sure. Norbert Hogg is totally there. So uh, it'll be a big race for them. And I, but tr- honestly, like you know, there was that whole era in uh, the early noughts where Schumacher completely dominated with Ferrari, mm-hmm. and that got old for a lot of people, and understandably so. But um, you know, I, I just really respect the fact that you know. 43-year-old who comes back at the risk of all these, you know, at all his stats that he's, you know, that we talked about before. He's worsening all the ratios. He's just making worse and worse by mm-hmm. coming back. He's he's older than anybody else there. He's got all these, he's done it for so many years. He's still there, and he still has legitimate f- performance. So whenever Schumacher does well, I just love it because, you know, he he clearly now he's doing this, for his huge, huge desire and love for the sport. He's not doing it for the money. He's not doing it for the glory. He's had all that stuff. So I guess I just have a ton of respect for um, him when he does well. It just makes me happy. For us old fogies. (laughs) (laughs) The 30-plus crowd. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I I, I respect that. You know, and I, I think I wouldn't be too terribly surprised if Rosberg's setup would just not conducive to a reasonably warm, dry track. Yeah. All right, well, we're talking about comebacks. Let's talk Kimi Raikkonen for a second, and, and actually his teammate Grosjean as well, uh, because they really looked uh, quite good in this race. Um, you know, Grosjean had a heck of a race with uh, his coming together on lap one with the rest, which put him back to the back of the field and working his way back up. But, uh, you know, they also were knocking on the door with pace here, both in qualifying and uh, and, and then, you know, in the – who knows how uh, how things could have panned out, but uh, in the late stages of the race, uh, some some pretty good pace from from both Raikkonen and Romain. Um, I think it's pretty a, a pretty safe bet to say you know if the next time that a new constructor wins a race, it will be them. Um, mm-hmm. Although who knows? I mean, we had the Maldonado victory out of nowhere and <laughs> whatever. Right. But uh, you know, but it it seems like they're 
they're getting very close now. I mean, they're they're another solid result. Uh, you know, if uh, I was looking at the stats and uh, somewhere mentioned that uh, Romain Grosjean has never finished a wet F1 race. That anytime it's wet, it just goes terribly wrong for him. And he had you know early on in the season so many early retirements, yeah. like lap two, lap three, just no experience and uh, nothing learned from those races. Right. But uh, that you know he seems to be have gotten much more. Uh, much more resilient on that. Yeah, I mean, Romain, just to your point, has still only completed 63% of the laps. Right, but even like the 20th place in Valencia, that was an alternator fault. That wasn't his fault, right. you know, and so on. There's oh, a couple I mean, things he was, he was in that, second place when that happened. Right, and before that, uh, on the podium and, and so on. So, yeah, that's, there's been... There's been issues, but the trend really does seem to be like Lotus is, is closing that gap and uh, and coming together, I think. Well, I think the most telling stat is their, their constructors. They're third in constructors' championship behind a Red Bull and a Ferrari. They are ahead of McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. By two points, but that's two points that count, and as they, we decided. And they are ahead of Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship, and you know, as well as you know, STR and Sauber and Force India. And we've seen really strong runs from Sauber. We've seen... Um, Great runs from you know a lot of these different teams. You know, there's kind of been eight constructors that have really been showing some good performance. STR hasn't been uh, you know that competitive uh, as as opposed to the past, and obviously the three newer teams are still kind of in the back. But Lotus doing very very well. And uh, for me, it's also it's great. To, I thought Kimi Raikkonen had a really good race today. He was competitive. He was faster than his teammate, which probably was a nice little boost because. Uh, it seemed the last couple of races seemed like Kimi was falling off and maybe just maybe falling into that old trap of, um, you know, apathy and not, you know, maybe giving his all. And, you know, there were rumors that Renault didn't, uh, Renault slash Lotus didn't let him do a rally that he wanted to do and that made him upset and so on and so forth. So uh, this, to me, this result was really good for a lot of reasons to show that Kimi is still great driver he's still in this he's still serious and i do believe kimi's now fifth in the driver's constructor championship the driver's constructor whatever it is he's fifth in that thing yeah driver that that thing he is yeah he's got he's, 83 points he's, he's ahead fifth of with 83 points you know Rosberg and his teammate and jensen button and schumacher and Massa. i mean there's there's some names behind him that uh that yeah the, you know he's he's done pretty well with that and uh today where the lotus is not uh the two fastest laps of the race today weren't those that both is true. Lotus cars that well? is absolutely true yes very right good on. point so hopefully um through some point of the season i mean lotus the company is in rough shape i mean they've they've fired their ceo they're restructuring things a malaysian government who owns part of them are trying to figure out what well, the heck's going on well their ceo was crazy they were talking about building five new cars in 5 years and they were not lotus Right, cars, and, and, and they were just like random things. The to build, Lotus so. sponsorship arrangement now basically seems to like spend a bunch of money in a bunch of different areas to call things Lotus. That's which is their IndyCar program. Uh-huh. You know, there's uh, their engine program, no less. Yeah, their engine program, their their Le Mans stuff. You know, they're they're all over the place. And what is their? I'm sorry. What is their Le Mans? They had these Lotus engines, uh, the Lotus Rebellion, like Nick Heidfeld, you know, coming oh, third yes, in Le Mans. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, which all right. wasn't a Lotus engine at all. I mean, Lotus doesn't make engines really so and and of course the, the lotus whole, road cars having toyota engines right <laughs> so. and the whole lotus team uh the lotus f1 team isn't doesn't really have anything to do with lotus anyway it's renault is the old renault team and endstone and and it's it was whatever yeah. uh so you know what unfortunately could sort of pull the rug out from under all of this is if that that team goes crazy weird with uh the you know the way the, obviously the economy in europe and and you know france with the renault connection and the whole thing is all a bit shaky these days anyway, uh, and, then, and then with the company sort of imploding, 
that someone in a boardroom somewhere doesn't say, wait, Lotus F1 racing, what is this? We don't need that. Yeah, I um, mean, and there's not too dissimilar a thing happened with Renault pulling out. I mean, there's obviously the scandal that happened with Flavio Briatore and uh, what happened in Singapore a few years ago with the whole deliberate crash and everything else. That played a huge role, but Renault, I think, same kind of thing. is like, why are we spending this much money on this? What are we getting out of it? And Carlos Ghosn kind of said, yeah, it makes a lot more sense for us to more, have more of a technical relationship with Formula One where we provide engines, we provide technical support, and we're known as a technical leader because Renault is really technical, but they're not really. But, you know, whatever. And, and, and it's still, of course, our relationship with Renault here in the U.S. being that they don't sell any cars here. I mean, they have this whole infinity tie-up, which... Also, is more well, corporate than anything. Renault it's by and, marriage, Renault and not Nissan by blood. Are, Renault and Nissan are tied at the top. Right. So, you know, in that sense. But in a technical way, I mean, there's, you know, any the, the Renault brand doesn't mean anything really here. I mean, we, we I don't. Well, my uncle owned an Alliance, like in right, 1984. Right, and there's a brilliant car for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've, I mean, yeah, they, they used to sell them here, and it's happened in the past. Yeah, the Renault Appliance, as they were known, but... Um, yeah, so you know, there's there's that that whole weird marketing angle. So then it all comes out with like the special, the Sebastian Vettel edition Infinity FX or whatever, and it's like this weird corporate tie-up that has nothing to do with like Ferrari is going to be the closest to like road cars, race cars, really cool high-end brand. It's premium, it's awesome, it's Ferrari, and, yeah. and that really matters. And uh, you know, Mercedes uh, to to a slightly lesser extent, you know, McLaren, especially now that they have their supercar and all yeah. that. Um, but then you know you look at. The, I mean, McLaren is very much the, tied together because it's it's a, such a small company right. that. And then they you look at and then you look same. at Lotus and you're like, okay, you know, I don't even, I don't know if they still sell Elises. They probably do. They well, or if it, it's just the Exige now yeah, or whatever. They, they don't. They cannot sell Elises as street legal cars anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So you know, there's 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 that, but also also that car has nothing to do with the uh with the race cars and then there's but i see lotus and all these different race series that also yeah. have nothing to do with it so it's just this weird marketing mishmash that it, 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 it is and it isn't i mean the lotus concept is the formula one concept you know lightweight low center of gravity you know really great handling cars i mean that's their that's their core competency mar- mantra of the whole thing now the CEO that was recently canned, he was trying to break that open, and they were going to build like luxury flagships and all this. Well, kind even of the Evora stuff, but... was kind of weird. I got into one of those a while ago, and it's got all these you know super plush carpets and like these weird you it... know the, the wide door sills, but they're all leather stitched and fancy. And I'm like, this isn't right. But but ultimately, what the Evora is is a very lightweight. It's a lightweight car. It's lighter than a 911. It's, de- it's lighter right. than a 911. It's lighter than a Corvette. It's lighter than these but things. It would be... It's less horsepower, but it still handles well. Right, but it would be even lighter if it didn't have those things. And that's the point, is that it's kind of this mishmash of do we really go to a certain Colin extent. Chapman, super light, super clever, like let's do something. You know, it's almost like the Delta Wing is the like excitement, lightweight, really different thing. You know, that was that was what was so cool about that. It was a whole different approach. So they, mean, they end up with this weird kind of like, it's going to be really light. Oh, but we still kind of want to make it like a right. Ferrari. So let's kind of put some fancy stuff in it. I and then it's think not quite as light fair. and not quite as fancy. Like and, an Acura and NSX still had like leather stitch stuff and some fancier stuff, but it was still a brilliant car. I mean, and the Evora is almost exactly what an NSX is. It's 280-ish horsepower, 3,000 pounds. It's got little rear seats, though. It's a 2 plus 2. Okay, fair enough. doesn't need little rear seats. agree with that. But it was, its main competition was a 911, and it was a different philosophy from the 911. So I think they needed to add a little bit of stuff more right. than the Elise, which was just simply hardcore aluminum, aluminum steering wheel and engine. You know, very simple. Right. So I, 
We're, what were we talking about? We're talking about Lotus, <laughs> and Lotus is all over the place. So, I mean, you say, okay, the Lotus philosophy is the F1 philosophy. I mean, the F1 philosophy is build something that meets the rules of F1, though. I mean, it's, you know, if, if but, Lotus has come out with stepped noses and DRS and curves and weird stuff, I mean, what, that's, it's what, a whole different... What makes a Formula One car faster than any other road racing car is the fact that it's super low to the ground and uh, super lightweight. Super aerodynamically sensitive, which road cars can't be anyway. I mean, if, if that... Well, I, right, but you know, no road car can be that, really. Right, so I guess the, that Lotus that you can you, that you can sort of what rent and have the whole team come with you, like the T111 or whatever it's called, where it's like basically an F1 car, but it's sort of detuned and sort of simplified, and you can sort of buy that for a weekend and say, I want, you know, you guys show up at this racetrack and you be my whole tech support, and I'm just going to get in and drive this car, and you spend a million bucks to do so or whatever. Like, okay, that Lotus has a lot to do with an F1 car. But I'm, I'm, not, saying, ones, I'm not saying directly, but I'm saying at a high level. At a right, high but level, at a, at a high the, level, the whole point of any of these is that the racing, that the, what you develop in racing in all the areas that you're racing, and whether it's F1 and in sports cars and everything else, that that technology, that ethos gets into your, gets into your road cars, and... It's, 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 you know, with the Ferrari, though, it's like Ferraris aren't trying to be the super lightest, most amazing whatever. What they say, oh, we've got really, really tricky technology. I mean, what makes the 458, part of what makes it so cool is how just dialed in all the electronics are in that car. Well, what's... And, and those are electronics you can't even have in F1. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to say. The irony of Ferrari is now that they have a it's lot like of they've technology. They've got really, that really they, good launch control. They, that they can't use. You know, they've got well, the, exotic materials that you can't use in an engine. Well, they have the engines. adjustable, they have the flexible wing flaps in front of the car. Right. I mean, that's the, 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 the Ferrari 458 Italia has a flexible front wing right they learned that for red bull i guess <laughs> I mean, so i so yeah i mean that's the ironic thing of it. it's like what they do with their road cars is like oh all this stuff that we can't do in formula one anymore we should put that in the road cars I mean, right that, that's the ironic thing I, I i'm not i'm not arguing that lotus has a brilliant marketing strategy i'm just saying that you know that i think you can make a make a very uh logical uh leap to say formula one light rate lightweight really amazing road racing car to lotus road car lightweight really amazing handling road car and i I think that's a justifiable um uh connection between the racing and the road cars but you know to then say oh look at all these engines with our name on it and being an indian le mans all this kind of stuff spending all that money in all these different ways especially with the engine relationship i agree with you is odd i completely agree with you there right and i I guess just to tie that off a little bit the uh tie it off my friend what, what sounds what seems cool about like a lotus approach especially for like a track day car or something like that is you think everyone's got 911 some people have ferraris you know people have what they like and that the lotus is like this cool scrappy underdog and you're like Check yeah it. i bought this absolutely. car it's only 40 grand and yet it's going fa- so much faster on the track than your ninety thousand hundred dollars hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollar car like that's what's cool about it, is this weird scrappy underdog thing and formula one really isn't you know, scrappy underdog, whatever. That's like saying, oh, we're this high class, whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, the, what's, what's cool about the Elise or Exige or, you know, even to a lesser extent, I guess, Evora is like, is, is, you know, doing the same with less or doing more with the, less. The Evora, I mean, and, the Evora is lighter than any of its competition, to right. be fair. Um, and less horsepower. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's the, having the different approach. And if, in, in F1, you really can't have a different approach from anyone else because the cars have to be so similar and they all have to have, you know, curs and durs and gers and turs and the whole deal that uh, it's, 
you know, you don't get that the same GERS cool is a new one. I haven't heard sense GERS of, well, you know, the gearing. They all have to be I, I know, but I, yeah, it's well, the GERS. Got it. Uh, you caught that, though. You I did catch it. Put that in there. Sharp as a tack. So if anything, what's what should be interesting is if the new engine regulations mean that more manufacturers want to get in, if all of a sudden, you know, Volkswagen looks at it again and says, oh, oh my minute. God, you I know, would so... De- maybe how, some VWs or Audis what or What if Chevy were an F1? What if Ford looks at that and says, oh, EcoBoost, there's a good tie in there. What if Chevy looks at that? I mean, they're doing... You know, fuel efficiency, turbo packaging, all the the cool stuff yeah. that yeah. I mean, you know, Ford. The definitely, I've, I've got a buddy that's marketing in, in Ford, and we've definitely talked about like the EcoBoost right. slash so F one. I would love that if if that changes the game, where these technical partnerships matter, especially matter to you know huge global brands like that. I mean, Ferrari, of course, is global, but only to the top echelon yeah, of people that can like afford it. General Motors or Ford right. or Volkswagen or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, Volkswagen, Porsche, Audi, you know, those kind of things. So there's there's a lot that could be interesting that may change in that over the next couple of years. But uh, Lotus in particular looks a little bit of a, that, that that connection is getting more and more tenuous. And as the uh, as the company... Well, if they is, don't have the money to support it. It's I mean, changing that, their whole thing. Then that clearly is an issue. The point is Kimi Raikkonen is a really good driver. Yes, agreed. So is Grosjean pretty good too. Yes. Or Grosjean. That's not how you say it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I think maybe it's time for us to hear about all the people that totally disagree with me about Maldonado. I think <laughs> the so. The first incident. The second one we'll do next time. Yeah. So listener feedback uh, for this show was one of the more targeted in terms of what people wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> You know, not unlike a targeted strike from Maldonado trying to take out another car at a rate. No, I'm just, sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of the feedback, both on the F1 Show dot uh, com site itself, as well as through Facebook and in emails and whatnot, uh, had to do with that. And I guess you've got uh, a couple excerpts you want to talk about there. Yeah, we got an email from Brett Woods, uh, very nice of him to email us, who did discuss the uh, Maldonado slash Hamilton incident. Um, didn't really what he said, and I'm assuming he agreed with me. But he also said <laughs> that uh, he said, on a different note, you are correct in munching down fish and chips for Silverstone. It's still the nation's favorite takeaway food by volume. Curry has overtaken it by cost. So apparently, we are in the right to love fish and chips because we love fish and chips. So I'm very happy to uh, have a, an actual Englishman confirm that for us. And I, I rarely will take us any kind of statistic at face value without wondering, like, well, who's keeping track of this stuff? But it's like the fact that we keep eating fish and chips makes me, I'm completely like, yes, that must be accurate. Exactly. And he also yeah, well, said... it checks out. It's from some guy with a, who might be English. In speaking about the British, British Grand Prix, he said, here's hoping for a great race. I think he definitely got that. Keep up the great work, Brett. So uh, we will do our best. Thank you very much. Um, also, we had six comments on uh, F1show.com, the most amazing website ever. Um, most of which were also regarding the um, Maldonado-Hamilton uh, incident. However, uh, Mr. Brian Hoover was not among them. He uh, replied to um, our comment about another viewer who, uh, listener who does Taste of the Race and takes it to a whole other level, making unique meals after each made and turning into a whole event, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, Brian said, hey, just listen to your 2012 European GP podcast. Just want to let you know that you inspired our family to observe Taste of the Race this year, too. It's fun getting the kids involved, looking up countries on Google Maps, finding out where the tracks are, and researching what kinds of food they eat, what, what people wear, etc., etc. It, it has allowed the whole family to have a more diverse culinary experience, introducing us to food we would otherwise not go out of our way to eat. 
I've taken pictures of our meals at, and he gives us a link, which we will then, uh, you know, so if you guys want to see the link, it's right there in the comment. Um, so you can check it out yourselves. And uh, we still have that blog post to write about the other uh, Taste of the Race. Uh, so uh, we'll include this in as well. And we'll mention if anyone else out there is doing Taste of the Race and wants to share with us some of their more interesting creations or, uh, or you know, fun ways of approaching that, then uh, share that with us because we're going to put that together in a little uh, sort of album on the site. And uh, we'll, of course, post a link to that when that becomes available. And we'll talk about it on the following show. And not to boast, but... It is our idea, and it is a great idea, and we ourselves really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun because it does give, it does give a whole other element to uh, the whole Sunday experience. And I, what I, one thing I think it does, which makes it fun, is it it helps differentiate all the races. You know, you know the fact that the vast majority of the tracks have Herman Tilka's uh, hand on them and all these kind of things. It gives you just kind of a sense of, you know, there's there's world championships all over the place. But, you know, like the National Basketball Association is the NBA World Championship, but it's obviously all U.S. teams, things right. like that. The Baseball World Series. The Baseball just, World Series. Actually just named after a newspaper, not after uh, not being that it's supposed to be global, but named after the world. And then the, I think the Champ Car World Series was named after the baseball, named after the newspaper. So Very possibly. The point is, is that Formula One, in, in my opinion, is probably one of the most worldly world championships in existence. I mean, it's right up there with the Olympics in terms of like diversity of nations that are involved in the sport be it where you the go tracks. olympics you don't go world cup you go olympics i go really? olympics okay yeah hmm. yeah hmm. interesting i don't play soccer okay Ooh. Ooh, and he's <laughs> calling it soccer ladies and gentlemen <laughs> anyway my point is is that it really does help you kind of get a sense of well what what is this crazy world we live in what are the differences and all these kind of things so and more importantly what does it taste like to eat in these various countries and, and more importantly how amazing are fish and chips? And, we're, and really, I mean, there's, I, if, if anything, if we can take as a, as a cheesy lesson from this, is that... A cheesy know, lesson, I like There's, it. you know, we haven't, we haven't had any one country where we're like, oh, man, I hate when we go to wherever because there's no good food there. I mean, everybody's got good stuff somewhere. Absolutely. From, Absolutely. from all over, from, you know, Asia, Europe, Middle East, you know, Canada. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. All over the world. I mean, Brazil, too. There is tasty food everywhere. And yes. if there's anything we could, that could be a common, common thread or anything like that, is that... Uh, Food is tasty all over the world. <laughs> food is good. All over the place. Every, everyone's food, got some good taste somewhere good. in there. There's some weird stuff they eat in some of those countries. Don't get me wrong, but some, but some of it's definitely good. Um, the other five comments uh, were all involved with the Hamilton uh, Maldonado thing, and uh, it, it, it was largely, <laughs> largely against my, largely against my, uh, my opinion. But I, I wanted to read. Um, I wanted to read uh, one comment from Paul M. One two three four, who said, "I'm sure one of you took uh, Maldonado's side only to play devil's advocate. He could easily have run wide and rejoined later. Plenty of time left over to have another go. Think what would have happened if the roles were reversed. Lewis Hamilton would have backed out and tried again later. I agree with uh, Mikel. PM does seem to suffer from men red mist and doing some pretty crazy things that are needlessly dangerous. So Paul M. One two three four. No, <laughs> was not playing devil's advocate. I really think, I really felt what I felt. And I also want to say that um, D D N A T H E forty six probably owns an E forty six Mercedes, and I'd be curious to know what uh, E forty six BMW. Ooh, my God, ooh, for a BMW yeah. guy, even wow, E forty six BMW, and I'm curious what BMW it is. I think he might have com- commented before he might own an M three, same as mine. I'm just curious. Nothing to do with modern auto things. You, anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so certainly thank you for, uh, for everyone writing. And there's actually quite a few thoughtful comments and sort of people would come up with paragraphs. I think this really got people going. And, yeah. And, and not only 
yay, this guy won, but like, who was doing what? What was he thinking and all that? So I, I would encourage people, if they haven't checked out, if they go to the Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash F1 show, or there's a link to it right from F1 show.com. If you just scroll down to our post uh, from June 24th, where we, where we posted about the show, there's some very thoughtful comments from the likes of James Payne, uh, Bernard Akinamaju, like, totally messed that up sorry um dave stevens bernard a is the way bernard a that's right we we decided on that pablo v gomez um and and colin sato and there's a couple others i'll I'll talk about the um those that agree because a lot of people and some people are posting articles i mean then craig the kilt uh, posted an article said oh martin brundle thinks it was pastor maldonado's fault which guess what means nothing to me well who is this martin brundle anyway what does he know Oh, I race Skip Barber. Okay, I thought it was. What is, I thought it was cards. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so so Colin says I, mean, I did I, race cards. That's I true. appear to be in the minority here. I guess although I I agree it's Maldonado's responsible for making a safe pass. It's on Lewis's own fault that he ended up in the wall. What he's saying is, if he were in Hamilton's situations, he would settle for fourth place points instead of racing that hard with the driver. With nothing to lose. Um, so especially with Vettel out of the race and Alonso behind me. So it's it's sort of like, not is it all one way or all the other, but what is the best way to handle the situation yeah. that you are then put in yeah. of, of getting back around the corner. Uh, also comments and, uh, and then uh, Jonathan Peter Cansfield follows up with after Colin says he, he agrees. And um, you know, Walter Gomez says Colin has some of it right, but in the end Maldonado took him out and then goes on to, uh, to share his, his thoughts as well. So um, it's a, a thread that's definitely worth reading. Um, and, and thanks to, to everyone taking part in that. Also, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be another thread. Timothy Fox, Steve Haywood, uh, Juan Gonzalez, and uh and you know everyone else so what's what's wild it's a couple of those things you know oh yeah you know Maldonado's got this problem with the red mist and he's being dangerous i'm like is that a comment on today's show or was that a comment from (laughs) and the fact that you even have to wonder that is is really i think the the concern overall but uh definitely if you haven't joined the conversation it's it's well worth doing put in your two cents and let us know uh if you think we're you can even put in three cents if we're spot on if we're way off or if one of us is accurate which is usually the case Oh, um, I see where we're going. No, I mean, you're, you're very commonly right, <laughs> according to a few people. Um, I don't know who this M. Brundle I is. Am, but... I, am, I, am, I represent the minority very well, very often. Well, there you go. Um, but basically, F1Show.com is the place to do that, and you, there's links to everything else from there. And thank you, as always, for letting us know what you think. Yeah! Predictions. Well, it's uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Stat model has been doing us many, many favors uh, as of late. Not so much this time. Yeah. So it is starting to get a little bit more consistent with as crazy as things were. Like I mentioned, you know, things did kind of end up uh, in a in a fairly sensible order. And the statistical model, Damien did uh, did okay predicting whoever was on pole last time would get pole again, and whoever won last time would win again. Which um, so uh, let's see how the how the results shaped up for for this race and then we'll absolutely which in this case was sebastian vettel on pole fernando alonso to win the race um sebastian vettel ended up qualifying fourth and alonso finished second so uh pretty solid performance yeah mr damien uh, only scored a total of four points which is pretty darn strong however jim uh, do not cry too much wipe your eyes Turn that frown upside down. You predicted uh, Sebastian Vettel to be on pole and to win the race. He ended up uh, qualifying fourth and finishing third. So you only did one worse than Damien, giving you a total of five points. Um, Respectable. I had a little bit of a harder time because I did not realize that McLaren was going to phone it in today. Uh, Lewis Hamilton was my pick to be on pole and to go on to win the race. He was eighth in both uh, regards, giving me a total of 14 points. 
However, I don't have to feel too terribly either because I am still in the lead overall, which is kind of neat. I have 109 points after nine rounds. You have 115, and Mr. Damien is as at 130. Yeah, uh, overall between the three of us. However, we do have, there are 20 fans who are better than both you and I. Well, 20 what? fans better than you and 23 fans that are better than me. Who are these people? Well, Darren Bowden, shout out to him for only having 62 points total for the whole season so far. Wow. Is he to, cheating? Maybe he's cheating. Well, Neil Popham is definitely cheating. I mean, he makes the system so he can always win. But okay. No, no, is, but is, we've got, is, are they friends, Neil and Darren? Ooh, is Darren I, even a real person or that's is that what, his own? Mm, <laughs> that might be a spreadsheet as well. Ah, uh, shocking. Hmm. But... Um, so well played for those who are, are playing, uh, playing and or cheating. <laughs> <laughs> they, they may just be better than us. There's, that's, that's, that's definitely a possibility. That's entirely possible. We but were too busy liking or licking things. What's interesting, <laughs> uh, is moving forward, right? Okay. So it's right. the German Grand Prix next. It's in two weeks time. It's at Hockenheim. And, it is. Okay. And clearly the sensible choice is Lewis Hamilton for McLaren, who was on the podium. He won the race last year, mm. and he had fastest lap of the race. Mm. But uh, I think really the clearer choice um, is Mark Webber, who was on pole. But really the best choice probably is Alonso, who was second in the race, but have, you know Ferrari has the most wins there. So I think really the choice is clear yeah. as to who to predict for uh, the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim. Maldonado. Oh, there's a good one. That's your boy. I know you, you are number one Maldonado fan. I am and the have, number, you've I gone the, on record saying he's never done anything wrong I in his life. I am the number one Maldonado fan because I hate him the least. <laughs> I think is the way to look at it. His mother is like, no, Hamilton no, was, was right on that believe, dude. So yeah. it's, you were wrong. Yeah, it, it's Hockenheim, that's a tough one. You know, I'm still – I think what can be said is that the Red Bull car – Pulling ahead is the strong car again. It seems to be up there pretty consistently in a lot of different tracks now. But is the Ferrari the second fastest car? Maybe. Maybe. Well, I mean, we had an Alonzo pole and, and whatnot. I mean, there's... Uh... We did, but again, it was in crazy conditions that we got it. That was not straight up. It was not straight up. And, and to be fair, last year's German Grand Prix was at Nürburgring anyway. So the, the previous one, 2010, was at Hockenheim. Um and you know, then we're we're several years back as well, and it's it's you know different uh, different whole situation. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, right. I mean, there's there's. I have to admit, there's temptations to think about Lotus a little bit, but I still don't. I I still don't think they're quite there yet. You know, as tempting as it is, and you've done it before. You put Raikkonen up there once, and uh, it it did not go great for you. It has I to don't be remember said. if it went terribly bad though, because every once in a while, like a Hamilton or a Vettel goes terribly bad. And well, it seems... you did Raikkonen, Raikkonen in Monaco, and uh, Raikkonen was qualified eighth, finished ninth. That's not a brilliant result. That's not a brilliant that's, result. That's true. However, <laughs> that was the race weekend that the statistical model did, Pastor Maldonado. Yeah. And Who had a crash, by the way. 24th, 23rd. Who had a racing incident of a crash because he's Maldonado. It was probably Perez's fault. Perez. In fact, I think Perez was in the Monaco thing. It was those, with Perez, yeah, yeah. they did have a run-in. Chico Perez. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay, you're avoiding the question. What is going to happen at Hockenheim 2012? You are predicting the future. Think clearly. Jingle some bones. Look at some so, Talbot so, cards. Crystal ball it up. So, so Damien says that 
uh, Alonzo's going to be on pole again. I and, don't yeah. agree with that. Right. And he says that Weber's going to win, which is maybe not a bad not a bad place to be. He's won in Germany before. Um, I don't know if it was Nürburgring or Hockenheim, though. I don't remember. He won in 2010. So it's between Alonzo, Weber. I really don't think Button is anywhere worth predicting at this point. No, he's got he's to pull things out. Um, Vettel, Vettel. Ah, okay. It's, it's, you're, you're starting to I, sound like 2011 here. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know that it matters if it's Germany or not, but I just those guys are not, not to be counted out or to, uh, you know, to be put uh, that you know when when it doesn't go well, it usually doesn't go terribly wrong. So that's anyway, that's my deal. No, I agree with you. And uh, Sebastian Vettel is a really, really hard person to argue with in qualifying, especially. He's a very German driver. He's extremely, extremely German, and he's quite you know he's got that like you know Jedi mind trick. Okay, you're avoiding the question qualifying. now. Come on, Vettel on pole. I agree with you. Oh, I agree that's with you. Boring. It well. The fact the, the 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 facts are the facts, are they not? Well, they're not facts yet. We could also be very wrong. <laughs> but what does that mean for the race? Mm, God, ah, oh. I am really I'm struggling with this one. I have to say, because um, it's I have to say I'm tempted to go with uh, this track has a parabolica with a K. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I am going to say. No, I mean, Jim, I have to agree with you. I'm sorry. It, I agree with you. I think that's the safest, most realistic thing to happen. I think You're not going to go Alonso for the win? No, you I don't just think don't... he's going to make it happen? Well, here's the thing, right? That Both Weber and Alonso are our are, are two two-time victors. Yeah. And um, I, I just, the way the season's going, as much that as... That is any... a logical fallacy, and you know it. It is. The universe doesn't owe Sebastian Vettel a win. Agreed. I mean, you're making the same prediction as me, which is smart because I made it, but... For a stupid reason, just to be clear. Okay, haven't told you why I'm making the prediction entirely yet. My point is, I think, I think it's more likely. Um, I, I still think Vettel is the quicker driver in terms of raw pace between uh, between the two, and I think that uh, this is Weber's time. And there's no reason why he can't do well in Germany. And I, I, I'm guessing we're more likely to see another repeat winner before we see a third winner. So in that sense, that is a probability. Uh, that is a fallacy in terms of probability, but sure is. But it's still what I'm going with. So there you have it. We completely agree. Vettel, Vettel all the way, which completely disagrees with Damien, our uh, uh, our common enemy. So you and I can't gain any positions relative to each other, but hopefully, for our sake, whatever something crazy. Which is goes fine on. with me. I mean, I'm. I can. I, at this point, I can just agree with you for the rest of the season. Just cover the yeah, cover the ball. I got. I got to make those six points up somehow. <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, for all of our fans that are that are playing along at home on the predictions, definitely go to Facebook.com/slash/F1Show and click on the predictions tab. Put your prediction in. It's just got to happen before next Friday when they start with practice and we start to see what the pace is. And of course, we don't know the weather yet for Germany. Very it's true. a couple of weeks away, so the forecasts aren't really helpful yet. But. Uh, could be could be crazy, could be normal, we don't know, and uh, that's all part of the fun. And also, please, please, please go to the F1 Show, there is our website, f1show.com. There's so much stuff there. We have uh, updated statistics um, with all these cool statistics, which are really getting interesting now that, now that we're almost halfway into the season, to see you know, who's, who's been consistent, who's been inconsistent, who's really pulled out some great qualifying, who's really suffering, how are the teammates comparing to each other. A lot of really interesting things there, especially considering... Um, all the different constructors that have wins and everything else. 
Um, there's uh, warnermotorsports.com where you can get an F1 show t-shirt, which is the, the most amazing t-shirt on the planet, being worn by 100% of the F1 show podcast family at this moment. So uh, it's incredible, incredible t-shirt. You can also donate. You can check out blogs. You can check out the Facebook and the things. And we have a YouTube channel with videos. And my head's expanding. It's so incredible. Wow. Well, we better wrap this up before your head expands too much. I'll, I'll be honest, too, is uh, I'm mad at myself for taking so long to go through this because, like, it's fish and chips time. Like, what is there to do after this? It's I know. To we, go get fish I and chips. I cannot wait. So on that note, thank you very much for listening. Let us know what you think by visiting our website. And we will be back in two weeks' time with coverage from the German Grand Prix. Until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Fish and chips! <laughs>